Tonight we're in Jeremiah chapter 22, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, do what is right. We've been doing a series on Jeremiah and uh, we spent several chapters on Jehoiakim and here is another one that's a message from God to Jehoiakim. Verse 1, the Lord says, hear you the word of the Lord, king of Judah, you and your people. And so it doesn't apply only to the king, but it applies to all of his people, which includes you and me as well. Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So that's his format, that's what God gives to Jeremiah to give to the king for what to do. How to be a good king, how to be a king after God's own heart. Pretty simple instruction. Three basic things of what to do, three basic things of what not to do. So let's look at them a little bit. To execute judgment. To decide, to judge, to determine right from wrong and to execute it, to put it into action. In the right part, he gets to, in the next end, righteousness. So the wrong part would be the focus of the first part, executing judgment, punishing those that have done wrong, a country without laws, a country without uh, justice, a country that does not mete out justice against those that have done wrong, is a country that's for failure. And the same with our, in our own lives. If there's no structure, if there's no format, if there's no discipline, if there's no judgment, if there's no determining of wrong, and then acting upon that and punishment for those that did wrong, again, in a country, or in a congregation, or in our own homes, or in our own lives, if we don't determine what is right and wrong in our own lives, and when we determine and God reveals to us and convicts us of that we've done wrong, if we don't do anything about it, we don't judge ourselves and take it to heart and execute, do something about it, then we're doomed to failure. We're doomed to destruction. But if we determine it, if we realize it, if we receive that conviction, and we execute judgment... By determining I did wrong, this is wrong, my heart is wrong, these actions are wrong, these thoughts are wrong. And we bring punishment upon ourselves. I'm not talking about whipping ourselves or making us crawl up steps and some kind of penances. or, But taking it to the Lord and acknowledging to him I deserve punishment. And the punishment I deserve, the wages of sin is... Death, I deserve death, and so I claim my death in you because God has given us a way of escape, a way of punishment, a way to execute judgment, to have judgment executed in our life, how to kill us and yet still allow us to live by the Messiah dying for us and taking us into himself and allowing our carnal nature, our evil desires, 
our record of wrong and allowing it to be killed. And then to give us a new life. Because the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah. And then he creates a new life in us. And so if we never do that in our own lives, if we never execute judgment in our own lives, if we never allow God to bring conviction to us, if we never allow him to bring the gift of repentance to us and never execute, do something about it, never repent, never confess to the Lord and to anyone we've done wrong, and we never make it right, and that brings us to the next part, then our kingdom, our lives, our, our eternity is doomed to destruction. But if we do what is right and we execute judgment, and righteousness, and that brings us to the next part, of living out, allow God to live out his righteousness in us. Allow, allow him to cover us with his righteousness. Allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that right actions, right thoughts, right desires are manifested through us by his miracle. Then we are on the right path. That's a pretty simple. Execute judgment, which should be logical, that's why even countries that do not have a profession in the Bible or anything still have laws on their books of to do this and not to do that. And so he tells them to execute righteousness. Do what is right, king. Do what is right among your people. Do what is right. And so we want to teach right here. We want to teach right in our homes. What is right, the word of God. And we want to live righteous lives in our own individual lives by God's grace and by God's power. So execute judgment and execute righteousness. Bring it about. Don't just believe. It's one thing to believe. You can believe this is wrong and continue to do it. Right? Karen just read us a story of someone who believed and when he was in jail and, 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 and had a forced restriction on drug intake, he was doing right. But when he was left to himself and had to execute it on his own, he did not have the power to do so. And he fell back into the same sin until God came into his life and executed judgment and he was dead and then came to newness of life in righteousness. And righteousness was lived out in his life. And so to execute righteousness is to do what is right as well. And then to the third point, and deliver the plunderer out of the hand of the presser. So three things to do. Execute judgment, execute righteousness, and deliver those that are being oppressed by a plunderer, someone who's plundering them, someone who's doing wrong to them. So bring defense and deliverance to those who are in need. Well, that's important for us in this day as well. It shows us where God's heart is. It shows us what are the important things to God. That we care for those who are being oppressed. That we take the side of those that are being hurt. That we root for the underdog. And that we help those in need. It's not our regular nature. Our regular nature is to you know, want to side with those who are doing good, right? You can go through 
any city, and you can count you know, how many bumper stickers or flags or whatever, or hats or T-shirts they have for the home team during a losing season, and then go back to that city during a winning season and see how many hats and how many shirts and how many bumper stickers or whatever are being waved, or the attendance at games during the losing season and the attendance of games in a winning season, and it's dramatically different. We have a tendency to lean towards those who are making it. You know, the, we envy the lives of the rich and the famous. But God's ideal, God's whole status of everything is different than our human carnal ways. And God cares for those that are being oppressed. And not just a caring and a concern, but he wants action to deliver the plunder, to take action when we see wrong being done. And then to do no wrong himself. So now the three things he tells him what not to do. First, don't do any wrong, which means do right. right? But he says don't do any wrong, so he kind of makes it easy on him. <laughs> so saying, here's a list of things to do. He says, just don't do any wrong. He's starting him off on, well, let's see if he can even just do this. Let's do some easy things. Which, again, even the easy things we can't do without God, right? So don't do any wrong. King, don't do any wrong yourself. Don't enter into these wrong habits. And, of course, know what is right and wrong by knowing judgment. And do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow. Again, we see where God's heart is. God's heart is with those that are weak and in need. And especially in that time, you know, a stranger, uh, even if it was from someone from the north, uh, Israel, who came down to Judah, he now gave up his inheritance. He gave up his land that was given to his tribe. And to come to an area now, he would never have any land of his own. And again, land was everything. That was your value. That was your worth. And they'll try and find a job and a career. And if they came from another country and were the Goyim, a stranger coming from another nation, to do no violence to them. Again, he's not telling them a list of things to do for them. <laughs> but just don't do any violence to them. And the fatherless, which with wars and things of that nature, could be at a time, any time in history, a very real, have a very real impact on society, families, children, in a big way. So do no violence to the fatherless. Care for those who don't have fathers. Today we have a self-imposed fatherless system where people bring children into the world, but don't hang around to help raise them. And that's a very sorry state that we have. And certainly it's their responsibility, but when they don't do it, God gives us a wonderful opportunity to reach and to help and to minister to those who are technically fatherless. I mean, they may come by every other weekend or whatever and do their allotted time. But people are still hurting. And the widow. In that day and age, a woman without a husband providing for her 
was a troubled, difficult state to be in. And so do no violence to them. Don't do any wrong, and don't do any violence to the stranger, to the fatherless, or the widow. I mean, he easily could have said, do no violence to anyone, right? And that would have been right as well. Don't do any violence to the rich. Don't do any right to the, violence to the strong. Don't do it. He could have said that, but God's heart was specifically had these people in mind. Nor shed innocent blood in this place. I mean, those are pretty simple basics uh, that uh, we, th- we think anybody could agree with that. Right? Any heathen would say, yeah, don't do any violence, any, don't shed any innocent blood. Don't do any violence to to a stranger or fatherless or widow, anyone down and out, troubled. This is the list that God gives for Jehoiakim to do and not do. Don't shed any innocent blood. And we also should do those things as well. We should not shed any innocent blood. And you may be thinking, well, I can't think of the last time I killed anybody, especially an innocent person. But of course we do so with our tongues. We can accuse, we can falsely accuse, we can wrongly accuse. God's Spirit's bringing an occasion to my mind right now that I'm going to need to repent of pretty quickly here, uh, just this week. But yeah, we have to not shed any innocent blood, jump to any conclusions regarding anyone, think any thoughts that we don't have any proof for. They may be innocent. And uh, at least in this country, we're innocent until proven guilty. And we should pass that along in our thoughts towards people, in our words about people, in our actions towards people. To not shed any innocent blood. We can defame people. We can kill their character. We can ruin their reputation. by mis-thoughts that can lead to mis-words and can lead to misaction. Shed no innocent blood in this place. So pretty simple. And what does God say? If you do just those things. For if indeed you do this thing, and he lumps the whole thing under a this, the singular, this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. Wow. Jehoiakim should have grabbed that. If that's all i got to do, execute judgment and righteousness, okay, well, we have a set up a court system, no problem on that. To uh, do no wrong, do that. To not harm any stranger, widow, fatherless, no problem. On that, I'll just keep away from them so I won't do any violence to them. <laughs> and I won't kill anybody innocently. Pretty simple. I'm missing one, right? I think, uh, oh, and, and to deliver those that are oppressed. Right? So king can do that. He can set up a council to do that. He didn't even have to be involved in hardly any of those things. Delegate all of those things. And just don't do any wrong yourself. And then... You'll have kings on the throne of David. They'll enter into these gates riding on horses. 
Jerusalem will be established. And the kingdom will reign. Pretty good. Pretty simple stuff. I mean, we look at that list. God didn't say, you know, the things that we think of in our religiosity. Actually, you know, as we look at this list, all of this list, and we'll see some more as the chapter goes on, but all of this list that we see has to do with the second part of the Decalogue, interacting with other people. He's not talking here, keep the Sabbath holy, return your tithe and offering, all the things individually for him to do, love the Lord God, have no other idols before me. It all has to do with how we interact with other people. That's where God's heart was important for the king. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. So this is the standard. These simple six things is God puts out as his standard for whether or not the kingdom is going to continue or not. A do-or-die situation. The kingdom is going to reign. You're going to have kings on the throne, coming into the gates, riding on horses. But if not, this house will become desolate. I did do those six simple things. The Lord says to the king of Judah, I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, every one with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. He says, I'm serious about this. You be nice to those orphans. You be nice to those widows. Be nice to those strangers. You execute judgment. You deliver the oppressed. Don't do any wrong. You execute righteousness. Or else it's going to be bad news upon you. Don't take any innocent blood. Verse 8. Many nations will say, why has the Lord done so to this great city? And they will answer, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods, and served them. So this is interesting. So those six things had to do with our interaction with other people, but that is a cause of a result of turning away from worshipping God and worshipping other gods. That's the real root. And if we turn from God, we try and do it on our own. We try and do no wrong on our own. We try and be nice to the, to the, uh, you know, the fatherless and all those in need and love, peace, and all this stuff. My uncle, my uncle was part of the hippie error, and, and he, he said, you know, he had lots of ideals. Peace on earth. We were going to just love one another. All you need is love. And he said it was, you know, not reality. It doesn't happen. Not in our carnal nature. Not on this earth as we know it. 
Oh, we just love everybody, and they'll just automatically love back, and love will just flow, and we'll just put flowers and peace signs. Everything's going to be beautiful. And it's just not reality. We're dealing with carnal, selfish human beings, ourselves and the rest of the world. And we cannot be loving and kind without God. And they're not going to be loving and kind back, even if we are loving and kind to them, just because we're loving and kind to them. It starts with loving God, worshiping God, following God, and making him our sole God. Yeah, I know we don't necessarily have little idols for the most part, but we bow down to and, and, you know. But we can have other gods. As we could give us some very good examples how to have other gods beside the Lord God. Television, money, selfishness, pride, we can make ourselves our God, our things our gods, whatever is more important to us than God whatever takes the place of God in our lives. And we can tell that by how much time, how much money we spend on, on things compared to how much time, how much money we spend on put towards God and God's work in other ways. Who has our heart? Who do we think about in our crisis? We worried about something more than we're worried about God and what God cares about. Are we more concerned about our car getting soiled with some blood, we see someone bleeding instead of helping them out and taking them for a ride. Are we caring for the oppressed? Someone's getting beat? No, no. But if I go and help out, I might get my soup ripped or, you know, where, who, what are our thoughts? Who do we care about? What's most important to us? And so the reason that the city will get destroyed is because we have forsaken, and this is important, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God. Whose covenant is it? It's God's covenant. We're not, that's a whole topic in itself. There's a good verse, there's many others, on topics of the, on the discussions about the covenant. It's God's covenant. Any discussion about the covenant's have to do with that they, this has to be a foundation that the covenants are God's. Personal, they're his, not God's plural. They're his covenants. And so we can accept his covenant. We can receive his covenant. We can allow his covenant, his promises to be fulfilled in us. But they're not our covenant. For us to, uh, they don't originate out of us. So they forsook, they neglected, they refused God's covenant. God's covenant changes us. It's not us promising God, God, I'm going to be good, God, I'm going to follow you. That's our covenant. And they're worthless. God's covenant, receiving his power, his promises, that he will work in our lives. So they rejected, forsook, I don't want your covenant, I don't want your power, I'm going to rely on my own power. I'm going to rely on my own strength. I'm going to rely on my money to help me out. I'm going to rely on my wisdom to help me out. I'm going to rely on my workaholism, my work, my career to help me out. Self as the God. I'm going to rely on the government to help me out, to see me through. Who do we trust? Who do we 
or the trusting in God, in God's promises, in God's covenant. And so that's the basic bottom line. And when we trust in God and allow God's covenant, God's power, God's promises to be fulfilled in us, then we will execute judgment and righteousness. We will care for those that are oppressed. We will not do any wrong. We will not do any violence to anyone. And we will not shed innocent blood. Verse 11, the Lord says concerning Shalom, who was also known as Jehoahaz, who was the king before Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went from this place. He shall not return here anymore. He shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. Now, he kind of throws that in here. And so obviously maybe the king was thinking about his brother. And maybe his brother's going to come back. His brother was king for three months after his father Josiah died. And... The king of Egypt came back through, and he said, nope, I'm not going to let you be king. He took him and took him captive to Egypt, and he places Jehoiakim on the throne. And so maybe there were some rumors, maybe he's going to come back. Uh, but here, Jeremiah tells him he's not coming back. Where he was taken, he's not coming back, and he doesn't. He dies in captivity in Egypt. So don't put your hope in anything else. Don't put your hope in... In, in, in siblings, in family, our hope is in God. It's where our trust is. And he gives a bunch of woes. Woe to him, and he's speaking directly to Jehoiakim, but certainly it can fit to any of us. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build a cedar house with large rooms and windows. And that's what Jehoiakim did. Slave labor, forced labor, overtaxing the people to build up his own house while the city was going down and down and down and they're using the taxes and paying off Egypt. But woe to us when we build our own house and not God's house. Woe to us when, and, and, and the Bible says, do you have a leaky purse? Does it seem like you put money in and it just kind of falls out the pocket? A hole, you have a hole in your pocket, never money there. Uh, seems like you never have enough and there's never enough at the end. And he goes through a whole list of those type of analogies and he says, and the reason is, is because you're building your own house and while God's house lays in ruins and neglected. And that's what Jehoiakim did. He built up his own house and a house for himself, just selfishly lavishing upon himself and using people to do it. And so do we do the same? Do we use people and manipulate people for our own selfish gain to build up our own career, to build up our own life, to build up our own self, build up our own home or, or pleasure. I saw a, a bumper sticker on a, on a pickup truck. It said, yes, this is my pickup truck. No, you can't use it. 
I guess he had a bunch of people ask, can I use your truck? Can I use your truck? You know, we can use people and not pay them. We should pay an honest wage someone who works for us. That's a society, it should be a societal norm. We shouldn't want to try and get something for nothing all the time. That's one thing if we choose to voluntarily do something for someone for nothing but for us to expect everybody to do something for us. We get lots of calls here. The synagogue, people wanting us to do something for people we don't know at all. Wanting God's people to do things for them and to do things for nothing. Again, it's one thing if we choose to, we voluntarily to, and it's a good thing for us to do that as a congregation and as individuals. It's another thing for us to demand that of others and to expect that of others. And you might think, well, I can't think of the last time I had a plumber come out and refuse to pay him. I can't think of the last time I went to a gas station and I rode off without paying for the gas. I, I can't think of the last time I went into a restaurant and, and, uh, and, and snuck out the back door without paying. I always pay for the wages that, uh, that I have people do for me, the work I have people do for me. But it's amazing how many people don't think they should return a faithful tithe and offering. I don't think that the, that the rabbi or the minister should be able to receive of the funds that God has blessed the individuals with, the congregation with. And people think I should be able to, or any minister, give counseling all the time to everybody in anything, for anything. That our job is to tell people where the local kosher deli is, uh, to uh, explain to them uh, what some Hebrew word is that they saw on a t-shirt. That that's my job. They should call me and ask, you know, that I should work without wages. Or to perform some funeral for someone never met, never attended the congregation, nowhere, anywhere, anything. Or do their wedding, or all kinds of things. And we get lots of requests to do stuff without wages. Pay a lot of money for a dress, a lot of money for a cake. Oh, and you, do you think we should pay you too? <laughs> A lot of money for a box and a piece of dirt. Oh, we should pay you too? And again, that's a lot of those people you don't even know. But how much even more so in the congregation itself? God set up a system for God's work to be taken care of, for God's house to be taken care of. But woe to those who build their own house by unrighteousness, and their chambers by injustice, who uses neighbor's services without wages and gives to him nothing for his work, who says, I will build big cedar houses with large rooms and windows. Verse 15, shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord. I find that very interesting. 
God sums up what it means to know God by giving Jehoiakim's father as an example, good King Josiah. He judged the cause. He ate, he drank. He had enough food for himself. He didn't have to build up a house of cedar to do that. I provided for his needs. And it was well. Because he did justice and righteousness. He executed judgment and righteousness. He also judged the cause of the poor and the needy. He delivered those that are being oppressed. He didn't do any wrong. He didn't do any violence to those who are weak in society. He didn't shed any innocent blood. And it went well with him. And that is what knowing God is about. Was not this knowing me? And God sums the whole thing up by love your neighbor as yourself. We love, truly love, as God loves, our neighbors as ourselves. If we love others more than we love ourselves, even our enemies, love our enemies, that's knowing God. Because that's what God is. God is love. And God loves his enemies. And God is more concerned about you and me, and before we surrender to him, we are his enemies, all of us, all of humanity, born that way, carnal and born with a resistance and hatred for him. And he loves us, and he changes us, and he transforms us by his grace. He paid the price for us. He became the sacrifice for us. Before we knew him, before we loved him, before we were born, he first loved us, and he put us first. Father gave his son, who gave his life for us. While we were yet in sin, while we were still against him, that is why this is what it means to know God. And all the other things, returning tithes, offerings, Sabbath keeping, all those other things are a result of knowing God. But it starts with, if we love our neighbor more than we love ourselves, if we love them like God knows them, then we have fulfilled all the law. And Rabbi Paul says that. You should define the Ten Commandments down to two, summarize them in two. And Rabbi Paul says even just by doing the one, we've really done them all, because it's impossible to love our neighbor unless we first love God. But if we've loved our neighbor as God loved them, then that means we've already spent time with God and worshipped him and have received his covenant, received his promises, received his power. And that is what it is to know God. by seeing him in the eyes and in the lives of those who need him. And that's really the test of whether or not we have God's heart. How do we feel about the lost? Not only how we feel, what are we doing for the lost? Again, it's not in all the religiosity. We can do all the right do's and don'ts as far as 
what looks religiously right. But are we passionate about reaching the lost? Is that where our soul is? Is that where our heart is? Or are we just like comfortable chairs and nice music and, and a pleasing sermon? Is that where our life revolves around? Is it about us? Having a nice discussion at Bible study, is that what our religious life is about? Or is it about seeking how we can reach the lost all week long? So that way we can bring them to services that have nice chairs and nice music and a nice sermon. That we can bring them to a Bible study so they can learn about the Bible. Not just so we can talk to each other about the Bible. That's where God's heart is. That is what it is to know God. Judging the cause of the poor, the needy. Executing judgments, justice, judgment, justice, and righteousness. Verse 17, your eyes and your heart are covetous for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Jeremiah didn't have an easy job. <laughs> Go to the king and tell him this. King, you're covetous. You're selfish. You've just been concerned just about yourself. You had your dad as a good example, and all you care about is yourself. You saw what happened to your brother three months. He was taken out. He was just as wicked as you are. God's giving you some more time. He's not coming back, and you'll be gone too unless you change your ways. Shed innocent blood, practice oppression and violence. Thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to him, how he died. It says he died... Uh, and slept with his fathers, it does not say he was buried in the, with the kings, like it says about all the other kings. So some surmise when Babylon came and took him, they maybe just were dragging him to captivity, and he died along the way, or, or who knows, something happened, but he just gets cast like a burial of a donkey, just cast along the side of the road. It's what Jeremiah prophesies, and of course, he was right on everything else. We can believe he was right on that as well. It seems like Jehoiakim, Jeremiah is prophesying Jehoiakim's not going to take this advice. But obviously the fact that God is giving the advice and the warning to Jehoiakim shows there's still hope. He can still turn. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth that you did not obey my voice. How we train the young people, how we train our own minds. God blessed him with prosperity. God tries to speak to us in prosperity and God tries to speak to us in adversity. Better for us to hear the word of the Lord when we're in prospering so we don't have to experience it in adversity. But whatever matter, God's going to try and get our attention. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us. That's again his heart. He loves those who need him. And that's all of us. So this is what he says, and, and then we see this is exactly what happens. 
He was selfish and oppressed, and he never turned, and he gets cut off. So as we look at our lives and the application, kind of like choose life or choose death, blessings or curses, what do we want? We want to do the simple things that God has laid out for us to do. To love our neighbor and to love our enemy as God loves them. Because God has given us his covenant that we can have his heart. We can have his laws written in our hearts and minds. Is there any of these areas where we have this week or in our lives, even back very far past or wherever, that we have not executed judgment or righteousness? When we have done, not helped those in need when we had opportunity and ability and, and been asked to. When someone was being oppressed, we didn't step in to help. We were worried about losing our job. I'm not going to speak up there for him because then they're going to hate me too. They'll fire me too. I'm not going to defend that person. I don't even like that person anyway. I'm not going to stand up for them. They're oppressed. Tough. I'll take their job. There'll be more room for me to grow. We've not stood for those that are being oppressed. We've done wrong. We haven't cared about the, those in need, the fatherless, the widow, the stranger, those we don't know. I'm not going to give them a card. I don't know them. I'm not going to tell them about the Lord. I don't know them. I'm not going to give them an invitation. I don't know them. They're a stranger to me. Those are the very ones God wants us to reach. We haven't reached out. If we've shed innocent blood, if we've thought or spoken or done something to someone who's been innocent or even overjudged someone who was guilty. Any of these areas apply to us. We put other gods before God. We haven't really known him because we don't really love our, enemy, our neighbor or our enemy. That's, we're not burdened for them. We're not praying for the lost. We're not acting and doing actions to reach them. We're not increasing God's funds in God's work so that they can be reached. We're not actively out there inviting and doing or ministering or befriending. Any of those areas apply to us. If we've expected wages of others or work from others with free wages, may God give us the gift of repentance. May God give us conviction that we can execute judgment in ourselves on this, these issues and allow God to fill us with his covenant, with his spirit, with his power, with his promises, with his ability to do what is right so that that we can execute righteousness as well. If any of those areas apply to us as we pray, let us ask God to do his work in us for his honor and glory. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your holy name and we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving us your word and thank you for loving Jehoiakim and reaching out to him. Thank you for loving us and reaching out to us tonight as well. Work in our lives, transform us, change us. We want to know you. We want to see you. We want to experience you 
and we want to be like you. Fulfill your covenant in our lives. Write your laws in our hearts and in our minds. Fill us with your heart. Let this mind be in us that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Give us your heart. Take out our heart of stone. Put in your heart of flesh. And give us a love and a burden and a caring for those who need you. And give us actions that demonstrate that in tangible ways. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.